Yeah, I, uh, thank you very much for this nice introduction. Um, I think the, the woo thing is just, it doesn't, doesn't sound manly enough probably to, to a European. So if, there's a, if there's a lower way, like a woo, whoa, then, then maybe that would work, but I, I, I don't dare. Maybe we're too inhibited. Okay. Um, yeah, you you said it. This is this is um, how it all started. Um, this web design is ninety five percent typography article. Uh, at the time I published this article, I didn't know much about typography. Um, actually, I still I still really don't, but um, there are people that know much less about it, there are much more people that know much less about it, it seems, and so I've become sort of an authority, um, which is quite funny sometimes, uh, because uh, when I'm among people, typographers, I'm really insecure, and uh, I was at a dinner last night being promiscuous with a parallel conference group and uh, I think I got the people really angry because they were like, who is this guy? What is, what is he talking about? Typography, this, this sounds all weird and wrong. So take it with a salt of grain. Um, this, I looked this up um, yesterday, uh, being nostalgic. Um, I think this was the first IA website actually. Uh, the idea when I started IA, yeah, I've been a long time with IA because I started it. Um, the idea was that um, there's just content there. When I started uh, my agency, I thought there's way too much noise on the internet. You know, maybe there was all this talk about Web 2.0, and I thought maybe maybe we're doing to our minds what we're we've been doing to our environment by just sharing a lot of information and you know increasing and increasing uh, you know spreading data like crazy people and uh, we should be focusing on the essence um, especially when you looked at the state of web design back in 2004 2005 um, you know it was it was in a really bad state and it was tough it was hard to even read a website the fonts were 12 pixels high and uh, at maximum, uh, often 10, often less. Um, and uh, yeah, there, there, there was advertisement everywhere. I think there is still a lot of advertisement around, right? It's still kind of hard to read um, websites, uh, especially newspapers. And I thought, yeah, well, this, this is a nice design. Um, it looks like there's no CSS. Maybe there was no CSS. I can't really exactly recall. But I felt this is a way to go. This is a good starting point. And um, then I published this article on a yeah, website that looked quite different uh, from this one. Um, not exactly like the last one, but uh, yeah, the idea was always to try and reduce. And what I found out experimenting with reduction in the beginning, this here, is that it's not so much about leaving you know, leaving details out. Reduction is not about leaving details out, in contrary. Um, reduction is about, you know, leaving everything superfluous out. 
and caring about the details. And what does that mean when you're mainly dealing with text? It means that you start caring about typography, you know, the little things. And uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a pretty clear um, illustration of what I meant by web design is 95% typography when you compare the two. Um, how did I discover typography? Yeah, well, I was not completely virgin to the topic. Um, I used to work at a big branding agency before that for four years and, you know, there are uh, designers that went to design school at uh, branding agencies. Uh, I actually studied philosophy. I really, I'm not even a designer, actually. Um, and they were always talking about this thing, typography, kind of freaking me out, uh, because it seemed something um, very similar to what Lucas showed us yesterday. That's something that you will never be able to even fathom, uh, that you will never be able to practice. Uh, it's so complicated and you need to go to design school for four years to understand it. And I discovered this image here. I can't find it in a higher resolution. This is how, you know, it's still on my server. Um, this is a specimen from the Renaissance. And really sorry you can't see it, but um, there's just one font here. Um, from what I've heard about typography so far, it was about choosing beautiful typefaces. And that's still what many branding agencies do, um, choosing beautiful typefaces and a color for a company pretty much sets the visual identity of a corporation. And I thought, um, how can that be so difficult to choose a typeface? But when, you, when they talk about it, you know, when they talk about the differences in serifs and stuff, it quickly gets very strange and you think, well, okay, so choosing a typeface itself already is very difficult. It's not just if you like it or not. They, these typefaces have special characters, they have a tone, they have a voice, and they have all these words, you know, the ascender and the descender, and that's, that's even the simple stuff. Um, but when I saw this, and I read that these people that did this um, only had one font, there was no font choice, but they did beautiful typography with it, um, you know, weird things started to happen because then suddenly I realized, oh, I thought the problem with web design was that there are not enough fonts to choose from and this is why we can't do good typography. So good typography is not necessarily related to being able to choose, you know, from a big palette of fonts. And so I thought, okay, let's see what kind of typefaces we have. Um, at our disposal. And by the time it was very much Arial and, and Verdana that was being used. And, you know, Verdana's okay at small sizes. It's actually very, very, uh, very craftful and very sophisticated. At big sizes, not so much. Um, now, I discovered Georgia. No, no, you know, 2005, and it should have been obvious, you know, as a web designer, I've been doing this since 1999, I, I discovered Georgia, and, and uh, I found this uh, typeface quite pretty. And uh, I started trying to do something like this with my website, you know, and started using small caps and then 
people told me, well, these are actually uh, full small caps, you shouldn't do that, that's bad taste. I started doing all kinds of uh, you know, crazy things, started reading books about it, uh, because I didn't find anything about screen typography online. There's, there was nothing. A couple of people said, you know, uh, actually, uh, text is sort of an interface and typography is important. We have grids. Some people were talking about grids already. Um, you know, people that went to design school knew, knew some stuff about it. But I felt something like this doesn't exist. And, and I wanted to, to try and, you know, understand how this can be translated uh, from paper to, to the screen. Because obviously you can't do exactly the same thing. You know, having columns on a website when you know what you mainly do is scroll doesn't make much sense you know that you're making a big mess and still a lot of people are making a mess with columns on even smaller devices like iPads or iPhones I think I've seen columns as well um, but I, I focused on how can this be translated and uh, you know I uh, had to do a lot of reading it's it's kind of shocking I've been designing websites for for six years by then, um, professionally, among others for, uh, you know, big corporations through my branding agency. Uh, um, but actually, typography, I thought, well, I let other people choose fonts, and in the browser I can't choose fonts, but that's not what typography is about. It's about how you use a typeface. Um, the font choice, of course, does play a role now that we can choose fonts. Uh, we're uh, in a much more comfortable position. We can actually, you know, start talking about uh, the voice and the color and little details and find exact um, a matching typeface for our clients. Um, but you know, where where do you start if you have no no professional training? If you didn't go to design school, um, you start reading a couple of books and. Um, it all sounds kind of scary, um, but what I found out quite quickly is that you start by choosing the appropriate uh, size for your body text. That's, that's where it all begins. And I quickly noticed that the biggest problem we had in screen typography was that the typefaces were too small. Um, and the reason for this is that web designers design like this. That's the reason. So web designers are not uh, relaxed and they always look at the screen really close to make sure everything is okay. And of course for them, if you look at the screen from this close, the typeface is always big enough, right? Even at four point, it's, it's more than big enough. But for the average user, which, who, you know, actually likes to sit comfortably, you know, not really like this, you know, no one, I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you do that, but I'm not surfing like this, but you like to sit comfortably in about this distance and, you know, surf the web. That's what you do with a desktop computer back in 2005, anyway. And um, 
And when you do this, actually, if you compare it to a book, the screen is much, much further away from what the designer sees, right? And <clears throat> so what, what's the appropriate size for a typeface? Well, fortunately, back then, you know, the resolutions were not that different. And, um, you know, there were not retina displays and different types of granularities in screens. It was pretty much one standard, pretty much. And uh, the only way I could find out what works is to take uh, a book that I felt has a nice size for, for the typeface, and it's not too exotic. Most books have more or less this size, some, something between 9 and 12 points. And um, I held it in a good reading distance, which is normally about like this. And I sat in front of a computer, and then I compared. So I looked at the book with this eye and at the screen with this eye. And what I found out is that most designers with a classic training use the type sizes that they're used to in print, which is held much closer. And then, if you use that type size that you use in print, you know, the 12 pixels, that was kind of a standard back in the days, and you hold it away, it gets really, really tiny. Even though it's only a couple of centimeters, you know, this difference in, um, this difference in, uh, in distance makes a big, has a big impact. Here, this illustration shows, you know, how big uh, a letter appears if you hold it just a little bit further away. So what was a good size? Uh, I found that if I don't change anything in the browser, big surprise, it's actually a pretty good size. It was just surprising how big that is, about 16 pixels, so 100%, Georgia 100%, 16 pixels. At the time, in 2005, this was crazy. This was insane, and it was stupid, and it can't be done, and this man has to be stopped. He can't tell us, 16 pixel Georgia, this is a bad man, stop him. He can't, he ruins it all for us. The screens are too small. If we have 16 pixels, what are we going to do? Where are we going to put all these columns and all these beautiful things we have? All the ornaments and, you know, what makes good design, right? All we can have is a column of text and, uh, you know, where is the design? So um, I had a couple of fights online, which I like, as you can uh, probably sense already. Um, and uh, so what I did is I, I started comparing these, these, uh, these, uh, these uh, existing screen designs with, you know, good print design and started to try to find more principles than just the type size, you know, how, how can we make things nice? And um, yeah, as time goes by and with uh, a couple of pretty heavyweight clients, newspapers mainly, um, I started to find a couple of principles. For instance, because of the distance 
of the reading distance, you have to give it a little bit of more of line height. You know, the print designers would say there's a zebra effect because there's too much line height. But for some reason, which probably some scientists will find out someday, but I haven't really, I just have a speculation why that is. For some reason, with a backlit display and this reading distance, you need to have a little bit more line height. And, uh, you know, who was I to say that, you know? Philosophy student, uh, okay, has worked on a couple of big branding projects, but he's in some back room in Tokyo, and uh, he's just about to find out these things. And uh, why is he, you know, uh, trying to lead this conversation? Because no one was doing it at the time. Um, so after a couple of years, I think I, I had a good, a good idea how it's done. Uh, most of what I know about typography, I know from reading books and, um, and the success of our newspaper clients actually proved that, uh, that we had a point. You can imagine that on the way to telling newspapers that they have to have a 16 pixel type uh, face um, that, you know, uh, takes away so much of their marketing uh, space was not so easy. Uh, there was this other misunderstanding that you can't have uh, serifs, right, online, because, you know, there's pixels, and if you have serifs, they don't read so well. There have been studies that have proven this. And I went and researched it because I found, no, it's actually because it's so far away, you can hardly see the pixels anyway, even with these old screens. And, and, I, and I started researching, what, what's that study everybody's citing that serifs don't work on the screen? And it was a study, you know, made somewhere back in uh, 1992, you know, and uh, they were testing like 10 pixel Times New Roman against Verdana. And yeah, of course, you know, then uh, you can't have serifs at 10 pixels, but at 16 pixels, there's no problem whatsoever. But convincing newspapers that a serif typeface is more appropriate for them and that, you know, it should come with a readable size, oh, that cost me a lot of energy. I think uh, Mike Monteiro would be pretty proud of me because I fought very, very hard fights back in the day. These days, 16 pixels even a small uh, size, again, with the high-resolution displays that we have. So, I kind of got it because it's not that difficult if you spend a couple of years. Uh, even a philosophy student can, can understand how, how typography works, basically. Um, personally, I'm still not, uh, you know, the best uh, typographer around, we, but we have pretty talented people that do good work and that keep me in check. Um, I, got, I got kind of picky and I started using that same language that used to scare me when I was working at this brand agency. Uh, but that's how geeks are, right? So uh, you eventually, uh, you eventually go 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 crazy. Um, now, again, I think I got it how this typography thing works, and IA has made itself a name. It's grown a lot because of this, because no one or hardly anyone was was occupying that space in 2005. 
I think in 2007 or something, the Corriere della Sera said we're one of the most famous design agencies in the world. Back then we were two people in a really crappy office without, without, with an electric heater and that was really amusing. Um, what the internet can do, right, in terms of, uh, in terms of fame. Um, so then, these guys, right, tablets, smartphones, and that retina display, and then that MacBook Air also with this weird intermediate high resolution. Um, things were getting complicated. And I remember that when we told the, the Zeit in 2008, when we first met with them, that maybe they should try to go for for a big layout because they have this big newspaper and it's part of their identity that you hold it like this and that there's maybe a way where you know the the website the design adjusts to how big the browser window is we, the, we didn't have the appropriate vocabulary for this so you know when you make the browser bigger then you have a bigger website and and yeah, maybe you could also even use uh, bigger fonts and you could, you know, use that maybe even for other devices. And they said, that's crazy, that no one's gonna understand that, people are gonna freak out when the layout changes. You know, you open the window and the layout is completely different. They're gonna be irritated when they come back. And, you know, the layout is different from last time and they don't realize that it's just uh, the window size that has changed. And, uh, you know, I've learned to fight with newspapers, and in that sense, they're a very, very cool client because journalists like to fight, right? And uh, not every client is, uh, is uh, you know, is that uh, prone on fighting. But eventually we dropped it. It was too, er too early for these uh, things. But at the time, we started to, to, uh, to, to think about uh, what happens with different sizes and with different reading distances again. Because here, you do not only have a different viewport, as we say now, um, but you also have a different reading distance. And what's particularly annoying is that with these handheld devices, the reading distance can change considerably. And, you know, from my early experiments, I used a camera and tried to you know, capture the visual size of different typefaces at different reading distances. I know that the, the difference this makes, only a couple of centimeters when you hold the device quite close, is massive. So you can't really, you can't really say anymore 16 pixels is good or whatever size is good. Um, you have to have a very, a very good guess. And if you look at uh, typography on smartphones, you still massive, massive difference. There are very small type sizes that you can hardly read, and there are way too big type sizes where you know the measure, the width, the column width is so small that especially in German, you can read two or three words per line. And uh, yeah, this made me nervous. It made me very nervous, and it also made me nervous that. Uh, these two screens had different resolutions because I felt that on this MacBook Air, my glorious 16-pixel Georgia rule didn't work anymore. It's too small. Um, there's a slight difference in reading distance, I think, between a laptop and, and the desktop computer, but mainly I had to make 
Georgia so big that it all looked wrong. It looked too bold, I felt. And I was entering a completely different realm of typography, which is closer to what Lukas de Groot was talking about yesterday, that I didn't know about, you know, that um, when we talk about responsive typography, it sounds old, new still, but actually this is an old thing. You know, people have been thinking about what should happen to a typeface as it gets bigger way before, you know, we had computers. And this opened the next chapter. Now, if you think that this was boring, um, yeah, buckle your seatbelts. Um, when the iPad uh, with the retinal display came out, I looked at our uh, app. I use it every day, and uh, maybe th this, this makes me overly sensitive. I'm not exaggerating when I say that we spend a half a year to find the appropriate typeface and to define it so it looks like it looks now. Like I said, you, get, you start getting crazy. Once you go into typography, it just sucks you in. And you, 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 you get more and more uh, um, picky about things. So we change the line height, we change the spacing, we, we, we asked the type designer to change some characters. We basically started fumbling around with the typeface of a very known type foundry, Bold Monday. They made the Audi font, among others. Uh, you've seen a, a little bit of it yesterday. Uh, Lucas was working on that as well. And, uh, you know, their response was not, you changing my line height? You change, you're crazy? They were like, you're right. That's, it looks much better like this. I was quite scared uh, in the beginning to ask them for all these changes because who am I? You know, type design is yet a completely different story. That is really for specialists. You can't just go and design a typeface when you study philosophy and, you know, fumble around with, with typography a little bit. This is, this is really for, for the professionals, right? But, you know, they were very open to these changes. And when I looked at this thing on a... On a retina display, it just seemed way too thin. So that typeface that worked just perfectly on all the devices we had so far suddenly looked too thin. And I wrote this letter to uh, Paul van der Laan uh, and Peter. Um, you know, writer for iPhone is coming soon. We've been experimenting with fonts on retina display and came to surprising conclusions. Retina behaves a lot like paper, but then again, not. In the beginning, when this came out, everybody was like, yes, now we can just use, uh, you know, the old paper fonts. We don't need to deal with hinting and all this crazy stuff anymore. We can just use our old fonts. But I felt something's off. Um, in order to make Nitty look the same on iPhone as on iPad, we had to enlarge it by 7%. Um, blah, blah, blah keep this information for you right now. I'm very secretive these days about, you know, things we find out. And uh, so we went and did not only ask him for a modification of his typeface, a massive modification to change the weight, but we even did it in Fontographer ourselves. So we just, you know, fumbled around and I asked him, is it okay if we use it just like that or you want to modify it yourself? Which if you talk to another um, uh, type designer, would probably result in some kind of uh, Igor coming, breaking all your fingers one by one. Um, 
but they're cool. They're cool, and we've been working beautifully together. Um, it's, it's fantastic if you can do typography together with a, a talented type foundry that knows what you want and, and does it way better than, than, um, than you could ever do. Um, so I had to find out what is it that happens on a retina display that makes this typeface too thin and what do I not know, not about typography, but about type design that irritates me so much. You've seen this yesterday, and um, what Lucas was hiding was actually how ugly this is. Um, if, you know, if you don't use your imagination to see Georgia behind these pixels, this is, ex this is actually how, how this looks in vectors, right? It's pretty ugly. It's, it's all over the place. And you have to do that so we get the illusion in a pixeled environment that this is a pretty typeface, but the actual shape of it, and this is quite, it's, it's like the matrix, you know, it's like the actual shape, but this is the actual shape. No, this is, you know, if you vectorize this, this is how it looks. So to make typefaces that work in an environment with raw pixels work, you have to the reality of, of or the vector reality of it is, is quite distorted. And we forget that because we always project, you know, the actual shape we want to see into the pixels, and we forget that the actual shape is different. So this explains why. Okay? Now even the computer gets bored. Oh, I'm running low on battery. Okay. Um, does anyone have a charger? Now, and I'm at the most interesting point, huh? Is this running low on battery? I cannot even continue. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, so this is a cliffhanger here. Now it gets really, really interesting. Actually, and I, it doesn't let me continue without uh, the battery. Ah, oh, okay. Should have. I should have thought of that because I saw. I've seen the battery being low before I start. And I was like, ah, oh, it's okay. I'm not gonna go. Not gonna talk. Uh, I don't know what to say, and it's gonna be over soon. But no, actually, how do I, am I doing in time? Half an hour. Okay, good. Let's continue. I'm ready. Yeah. So, come on. Are you unplugged it again? So we're back now. Now it gets very interesting, right? Very, very, very interesting. Um, so the actual shape of this nitty typeface that we used in a pixel environment is much thinner than what you see 
is much thinner as a vector than what you see in a pixel environment. You can imagine this a little bit like, um, you know, a, a, a low resolution is like paper with, 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 that's very grainy, that sucks in the ink, right? So you write on this paper with, with uh, a felt pen and then the line gets much thicker than the actual point of the felt pen because, you know, it fades out like this. The paper sucks in the ink. And that's pretty much what um, pixel screens do as well, you know? This, this anti-aliasing uh, business that you can't see here because this is not anti-aliased, it, it makes the, the typeface look a little bit bolder than the actual... Um, and then the actual vectors, and as you've learned yesterday, this is done on purpose. They work with these things. They go down to sub-pixel anti-aliasment, you know, to make sure that the font has the exact right weight that they want, that they had in mind. So this, this is something we can't see because uh, uh, on the user side, you only see the finished shape and you don't imagine how much time they spend to you know, to push each and every uh, Bezier to the exact point where they get this, this weight, this visual weight of the typeface. But I noticed that our choice of Nitty Light um, as a typeface for IA Writer was the right one because it looks a little bit bolder than light when it's in, in a low resolution environment. But as soon as you go to a retina display, this effect disappears and you see the vector for what it is. It's way too thin. And um, that's only one thing. Um, and, you know, it's not new. Because, as I said, these different grades for different kinds of papers is, is something that, uh, you know, type designers have been dealing with. For, for centuries before. So if you use a different kind of paper, you need a more or less bold typeface to uh, you know, adjust the, the outflow in ink you have in different environments. That's one thing. The second thing is um, that, and I didn't know that, I had no idea, that actually different sizes of fonts in print have different weights. So they have different stroke, stroke thicknesses because they have to adjust um, their appearance depending on how big they are. So, you know, the smaller you get, actually, the bolder a typeface becomes to appear the same. So, you know, you see these now next to each other, but actually, Visually, they get much smaller to the right, right? That's size 4 to size 10. But you can see how they increase in weight. And the bigger, you know, the thinner the stroke. So dealing with different sizes and different resolutions, it's not something that I invented um, or anyone in our industry invented, it's been there for a long, long time. And I noticed that I, yeah, I don't know shit about type design, but to get to the next stage, I had to start investigating how these typefaces were made and start translating this as well into the new medium. Here is another example for ink spread, you know how 
different um, paper qualities require a different weight. And you know, there are things like ink traps and stuff, let's not get too crazy. Um, they, they require different shapes to appear the same in print. And this is work that has been done for centuries. And um, so uh, I started investigating what we can do with our Niti uh, before writing this email that I showed you before. This is Niti light in a low resolution environment on top. And if you use that exact same typeface on a retina display here in the middle, it looks much thinner. I mean, there actually, I know that not everyone will agree. Be, you could say like, well, it's kind of the same. It doesn't really matter. But the thing with typography is not everyone can see it. You need to spend a lot of time uh, like a watchmaker. And then you get very sensitive. And then maybe you see a little bit too much. But everybody can feel it. So when you actually manage to get things just right, and it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, people will feel better about it. They won't see it. They won't say like, oh, yeah, that's a nice grading of the nitty here on the retina display. It's a good job, man. Because actually, if you do this right, you can't see a difference. You can't notice a difference. The typeface feels the same, even though it's a completely different shape below it. So it's a lot, in some ways, it's a lot like, like hinting. It happens behind the scenes. And on the front, you know, you have the same impression. Um, um, it, but it's much, much easier than hinting uh, or subpixel and dealing with subpixel anti-aliasing for each little letter. So uh, while for the typographer and the web designer, things get a little bit harder with different screen sizes, for the type designer, things did get much, much easier. Because all they need to do is, you know, and this is controversial, um, deliver different grades for different resolutions. Now, it's co controversial because when I said, this is how it's done, um, a lot of type designers were pissed. They thought, well, now finally, you know, we're free of the hinting. And now this guy comes along and says, we need grades. And we can do grades, but let's just use the old print typefaces. They're, they're fine. And, uh, you know, we've actually, yeah, we have experience with different paper qualities. But the way we used to deal with this is, you know, we, just, we choose a weight that somehow works for all the app paper applications. But uh, I'm... I'm no, I was not happy with this kind of answer because these people spend thousands of hours on these typefaces making sure every little detail is just right. And then suddenly they get sloppy when it comes to the screen. No, um, we need these different grades. So, you know, on different screens, the typeface looks and feels exactly the same. And we did that, and I was very happy, and the application continued to sell. As before, I was completely freaked out when I first saw it on, a, on an iPad, and I thought, this is the end of it. Uh, I am actually convinced that 50% of the success of this application, we're going to break a million users this year, is because of this beautiful typeface. It just feels so nice. Not everyone agrees. People have different tastes. But to me, it was mainly about this. Um, Okay, so now it gets really, really boring. 
um, you know, grading these, grading these, this, this nitty and working with Bold Monday for so long, I started getting a little bit curious. And in the same way, I felt I'd never be able to understand typography, not in the same way, actually, it was much worse, like designing a typeface, are you nuts? This can't be done. It's impossible. As a philosophy student that stole his way into web design and now is known for web typography, while actually I just read a couple of books at the right time and published a couple of articles at the right time where no one was wanted to think about it because it's always more comfortable to do things uh, as everyone else. Um, I got sucked into type design. And how did that happen? Um, this is the view from, from a hotel on March 9th, 2011. Beautiful, isn't it? The Mount Fuji. Uh, I forgot to mention, I, I lived in Japan for, for 10 years. Um, and uh, this is the view from an apartment we were about um, to buy. Um, March, yeah, I don't know, maybe March 5th or something. I went through my photos uh, last night um, to try to explain how I got sucked into type design. And, uh, you know, you might not think this is a very beautiful view. Actually, it's quite beautiful if you, uh, if you live in this environment. It's, it's oh, pretty nice, you know, it's quite high up. Uh, it's all the windows are kind of shaky and, you know, this apartment will use a lot of energy. But that's how things are in Tokyo. Um, this is a nice apartment in Tokyo, a nice view. Um, so we were about to buy this apartment, we had the contract on the table, when the table started to shake on March 11th. Um, this is a train station I was about to head for, for uh, South by Southwest. I was about to take the train here from Shibuya station, but what I saw was this, and uh, it, was, it was weird. It was weird. You know, you've seen all these, you've all seen these pictures, how the tsunami came and then suddenly trains are on, on ships, on houses, uh, and yeah, it was, everything seemed to break apart. And uh, I talked to a lot of friends in Europe and they said like, ah, oh, the nuclear power plants. And this was uh, March uh, 13th, my friend Craig, um, where, you know, people were starting to say, well, maybe we have to evacuate the city. You know, there are four nuclear power plants melting down two and a half hours away. And should we, should we not? Should we, we have to, we have to, we have to stand our ground, right? And you can see in his face here that, you know, we're not quite sure what to do. Um, this is a day later. Uh, there used to be, stacks of rice in here. This is a supermarket. Um, and when you see this, you know, being a Westerner, you start freaking out. When there's no chewing gum anymore, there's no batteries, there's no rice, uh, you know, if they even buy toys. They, people start hoarding everything, but mainly if they can eat it. I think the first thing that went was, was toilet paper. Um, but this freaks you out. So we left, 
And you know, in the same way as this was spinning my head um, in 2005, not in the same way, in a much more extreme way, uh, this was spinning my head, you know, that I have to start looking at radiation levels and start learning how this works and, and you know, what is propaganda and what kind of propaganda and, you know, I have a kid that's two years old, what, what am I doing? Uh, am I putting my kid in danger? Um, it resulted in a couple of weeks later us flying back to Switzerland. This is Zurich. You know, Switzerland's beautiful. Um, it's very beautiful, actually. There's nothing wrong with living in Switzerland. But after 10 years in Japan, um, yeah, I was not very happy, actually. You can see my boy there. He's not very happy either. Um, how can you not be happy here? I mean, it's beautiful, right? Um, what made me happy is I have my old books. I used to collect old books, and I have my library back. And uh, you know, I was living with my my mother. We were living with 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 uh, my mother, and I went through my books, and then I saw this. This is um, a book about an earthquake in Italy, um, and this is the dedication. Eccellenza reverendissima. Um, it's a dedication to some count of Venice or something. And uh, I was in a pretty dark place, you know, after like nuclear meltdowns and stuff, and not knowing where to move, and not knowing if we can ever go back to Japan. At the time, you just didn't know. And I was looking at this and thought, this is beautiful. This is a guy that dealt with his earthquake there, and this is really beautiful. I like this typeface. What is this? Why does this look so good? Um, I had, I think, three pages of this, and I thought, I'm going to research this typeface. What is this typeface? And I didn't find it. I found it later. Matthew Carter did something very similar. Um, but I didn't find it, so I thought, well, if it doesn't exist, why don't I do it? And that's how I fell into the rabbit hole. Um, one of 304 selected. I think there are at least 3,000 versions. Um, this is Reverendissimo. Uh, this is the construction of this typeface. But at the same time, I also made a thing called IABC, uh, which is my own serif. Just to understand how Georgia works, I did Georgia again, and then I did uh, uh, a couple of other typefaces uh, again, just to understand how this actually works. And doing my own typeface, you know, in a pretty bad state of mind, you know, this is how I felt. But fortunately, I had my boy next to me, and he was starting to do type design as well on the iPad. Now you can, you know, draw things. Um, and I came up with this. Uh, I was at some point very close to this in, um, in 2012. Uh, and, you know, I thought, well, since it worked out so nicely with our iPad having different grades, I want to do the same thing with our website. And the big motivation to finish, finish this typeface was that no one lets me do it. You know, the typefaces out there, either they don't have grades or they forbid 
being altered if they're nice, which I understand. It's, it's a lot of work to do a typeface like that. Um, I'm actually going to show you quickly how much work this is. Uh, This is the evolution of IABC. You know, it looks almost finished here, does it? Um, oh, it doesn't let me do this. Why not? Sorry, wait a second. I have to do it in here in this window, that's why. Okay. So this is what, what happens. You know, for some point, at some point I thought, oh, maybe I make a sans easy to do. No, no, I'm doing a serif. And then, you know, you start fumbling and fumbling and fumbling and fumbling and fumbling and fumbling and fumbling. These are all hours and hours and hours of work of a completely bloody beginner. And I'm citing Lucas all the time, but it's great fun. Especially if you don't want to hear anything about reality out there. You focus on this thing and you're like Alice in Wonderland and suddenly you know, letters that were somewhere between this size, they become gigantic, right? You can zoom in on a U or an O and have it very close to you. You can almost touch it. At some point, I wish they were physical so I could just rub the curve a little bit like this. And you zoom out again, you look at it from a distance and you're big Alice again. And you zoom in again and you're small Alice again. And uh, yeah, but that's nothing, right? It goes on. I'm, I'm going to go quicker now. You know, this is what you do for hours and 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 hours. It doesn't stop. And you never get bored. That's what Lucas didn't tell you. You never, ever get bored. And then you think when you're almost done, you think, why not make an italic, right? How difficult can that be? And in order to do an italic, I felt that maybe I could use my reverendissimo. You know, so I started going back to... These were the letters I found in the book, because Italian doesn't have so many letters, right? These were, and, the, and the rest I had to come up with. Italian also doesn't have so many, you know, capital letters as German. And, uh, you know, so in order to do the Italic, I went back to my reverendissimo and started optimizing it. You know, I was such a bloody beginner that I didn't realize that this is not an italic and it can't be combined with some serif typeface, right? It's ridiculous, but I was in a special state of mind, so. And I had great fun doing this. Um, but, you know, if you think that I'm done, no way. So we're here at ABC Regular 6. You can see how sloppy I am. Oh, no, you can't. You can see how sloppy I am when you look at the names here. Latest, Spitze Latest, Spitze Ö1, Ö2. But you can also see how, how obsessed I am with this, right? I'm just like doing one thing after the other. So I'm going quickly here again. These are days, you know. And in the end, I had an italic. And, and I had it in different grades. And, uh, you know, Type designers, uh, I went to Typo Berlin, showed it to a couple of professionals, and they were like, yeah, you can't, uh, you can't show this. Uh, 
to the world, you know. It's, it's nice, you know. I'm quite impressed, actually. You did this in a year? Oh, pretty good. But don't show this, you know. You're, you're the Mr. Typography now, and you're going to ruin your career, you know. And I say, okay, just tell me what's wrong. And, uh, you know, then <laughs> they do what they do. They take this red pen, and they're like... <laughs> and it's all wrong. It's all it's all wrong. So I went and corrected everything and, uh, you know, send it back and forth. A lot of great people looked at this. I don't want to mention their names because they don't want to probably associate it with this. Um, but, you know, I went quite far. Um, the hardest part, though, was not just making sure that the letters look nice and work together. That's what I thought in the beginning it's all about. It's... Um, it's actually the spaces in between, you know. It's it's the kerning and the spacing and and what shapes happen in between. You know, you get so obsessed with with details that you start caring more about the things people don't see. But at a certain point, I felt you know I have to finish this whole craziness. You know, this this helped me getting out of this madness, this this tra traumatic experience um, uh, because I was shaping just. I was focusing just on, on shapes, on beautiful shapes, and I learned so much about typography. I learned so much about design as, as I never did before. Now, when I look at letters and I look at shapes, it's like, listening to, it's like listening to music. If you're not a musician, you're like, yeah, I know this. I, I know this. This is the certain kind of... <clears throat> I still don't have the vocabulary. You know, a musician would say this is uh, C-sharp or something. I, I don't have that vocabulary really uh, at hand and and the same for 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 dealing with shapes i think there is no vocabulary you know for these different kinds of shapes we 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 do have we do have emotions for these things but we do don't have the vocabulary but when you deal with this day and night with the letters so close and the letters far away you get to know um, form and content much better, and that's the beauty of type design. You know, there, form and content is really one. Um, I could go on and on, but I think I'm running out of time, and if you have still some questions, um, I'm happy to take them. Um, yeah, we, we made this, so, you know, our website now is comes with responsive typo typography. It has a different grade for a MacBook Pro, it has a different grade for uh, retina displays, it even has different grades if you turn your cell phone uh, up and down. And every time I look at it, I see millions of mistakes and, and I know why people warned me. But the beauty is that only type designers will really, really see it. You know, you can easily find some spacing mistakes, but only type designers will see how bad this is. Um, most of you are probably not type designers. I hope I'm not offending you when I say that. And you'd say, like, yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty nice. A lot of people liked it so much they want to buy this. And um, this is not going to happen. Uh, uh, it's, it's really too bad. It would be subpar to what we usually sell. Uh, and especially the, the numbers. I have, to, I have to fix these numbers. The numbers are so ugly. So they're wrong, you know. The, the numbers I did at the very end because I said, well, numbers, I know numbers. There's no big deal, been writing numbers forever. And I found out that actually those so-called Arabian numbers are actually of Indian origin. I call them Arabian numbers, but actually they're of Indian origin. 
and they have a completely different logic. The shapes in there are not shapes we know, because these shapes I was talking about before that are similar, like different kinds of music things, um, they're completely different in numbers. They're in, they come from India and they speak a completely different language and I totally failed, but the thing had to go out and it went out. And uh, yeah, people kind of like it. One day I'm going to get back into it, but it's, I don't know, it's like heroin or something. I don't, I'm kind of scared to open uh, type design programs because I know it's just going to suck me in again. What I didn't tell you is that for almost a year, you know, I did client work just like, yeah, that looks pretty good. Go ahead. That's, that's good. I, gotta, I have something important to do. So uh, it almost cost... It almost cost me my position as CEO. Uh, there was a little revolt, actually, happening, um, but everything's cool now. And people are also in the company quite happy that we have our own typeface now, even though it's, you can still feel it. You know, there's a crazy person or a person in a special state of mind that did it. Thank you. <laughs>